Genesis chapter 2. We're going to read a couple different passages this morning, um, a little bit out of Genesis, a little bit out of Romans. I'm going to read it all um, kind of together as one unit. Uh, if you'd like to stand as we read the Word of God, please do so. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. Chapter 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from the, any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat, it, eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Romans 5.12, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people because all sinned. This is the word of God for the people of God. And we respond by saying, thanks be to God. You may be seated. Uh, so on, on Wednesday, uh, it began the season of Lent. Uh, and so that means over the next uh, six weeks leading up to Easter, we're going to be in the season of Lent. Uh, and we're going to be in this Lent series. Uh, and so I'm going to be talking about pocket Lent and dryer Lent. And Nancy was really excited to be talking about belly button Lent. No, it was, uh, that's, that's, that's the only joke I got today. Well, I don't know. Maybe we'll see. Uh, but no, we know it's a different, we know it's a different sort of Lent. It's spelled differently, but I can't say them differently if, if there is a pronunciation difference. But anyway, it's, it's uh, the six-week period of time leading up to Easter, right? And, uh, and we, we learned on Wednesday that that word, Lent, comes from a uh, word meaning springtime. And so uh, because Lent happens around springtime, we're, we're really ready for springtime, uh, around springtime uh, each year. And it's a six-week period of preparation, of prayer, of fasting. Uh, and, and it's really this, a pretty special time on the Christian calendar, uh, but it's also, and it's meant to be a, a kind of a difficult time, uh, kind of a challenging time, kind of a, a stretching time. Uh, can we get our house lights on? I would really love to be able to see everybody. There it is. Look at that. Oh, never mind. No, I'm just kidding. Um, so Dr., uh, Dr. McPherson said last week, uh, he said, we, we can't be in such a rush to get to the empty tomb, to get to Easter, that we forget that there is a prerequisite for resurrection, and that prerequisite is death. That's the season of Lent. Lent is a season of death. 
And we know because, you know, we've lost loved ones and, uh, you know, we know the difficulty and the challenge uh, and, and how death kind of stretches us and, and changes us. And, and, and a lot of times when we encounter other people's death, we kind of are made to face our own death. Sometimes it doesn't even need to take that. We just look at our friends and we notice all of our friends are getting really old. We look in the mirror and, and we see lines and wrinkles and blemishes that once weren't there. Our hair is moving back on our head. So we cut it all off so no one notices. Right? We, our knees and our shoulders and everything doesn't work the way it used to. The things that once came so easy to us are now more and more and more difficult or maybe even impossible. And, and, and we have this realization that, that death is slowly encroaching upon all of us. And, so, and we don't like it. And so we go to the store and we get all the lotions and the potions and the gadgets and the gizmos. And we do everything in our power to stop death, to hold death back. And we know in the back of our mind it's all a, you know, a useless endeavor because no amount of lotions and potions or medical wizardry will ever be able to stop death. So welcome to church today. I know it's very... That's the season of Lent, though. It's a season of death. And, and death is a door that we all must walk through. And we know and we have that promise of Easter that, that yes, the, the lock on this door is busted, but yet, nevertheless, we all must walk through it. Season of death, the season of coming face to face with our own weakness, with our own frailty, recognizing our own mortality, all of these things, and they're difficult things and, and challenging things, and it and it, so it's a time then that brings us to a place of humility and a place of repentance and a place of depending that much more on God. It's the season of dying to ourself, right? And so it's meant to be difficult because death is difficult. But in, in the difficulty of this season, beauty is able to emerge, because as we face and as we encounter our own weakness, we learn more and more of the love and the grace of God, that his grace is sufficient. As we see our own mortality and our own dying and all, and all of that, we, we begin to lean further into Christ and realizing and seeing that Christ has life, that Christ is life. And, and so this beauty emerges as we are drawn closer and closer to God and transformed and made to be more and more like him. It moves us to a place in our life where we can truly say, Jesus is enough for me. Jesus is enough for me. Now, I, I don't know about you. That's what I want in my life. To genuinely and honestly be able to say at all times, yes, Jesus is enough. Now, it's, it's easy to say. Every, anything's easy to say. But we know that's not always the case. We know that there's always other things that kind of encroach upon our life where we, we kind of, the how we live our life from day to day does not necessarily communicate that, yes, Jesus is enough for me. Uh, I read this story this week, this long Facebook post by 
some guy kind of made his rounds. Maybe you've seen it. It, it, kinda, it came out of this, uh, the Asbury revival uh, that happened. You probably heard about that. It was all over social media. It was uh, some news channels picked up a really neat thing where some college students, they had a chapel service one day, and then it just didn't end. And for like two weeks, it went on and on. They finally, they had to put a stop to it because people from all over the world were coming. And like 50,000 people flooding this little town in Kentucky. And anyway, there's this dad on Facebook, and he brought his teenage kids to this, um, this worship service. He said, it's a three-hour drive, and we went and we checked it out. And he said, one of the first things I noticed was how ordinary, how regular everything was. It was just regular music, ordinary people. And, and it stood out to me how God could, could uh, you know, God often uses just ordinary and regular things. Uh, and then he said, you know, on the way home, I asked my kids what they thought about it. And they said, that was really good, Dad, because it was all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. I'm like, well, well what, do you, what do you mean about that? Well, they said, in most churches, it seems like it's about Jesus and something else. And that something else is often a good thing. It's Jesus and, you know, a, a social justice cause or maybe Jesus and a political thing or Jesus and just something else. And they said, but today we were able to worship and, and able to be in a church service and it was only about Jesus. They said, in most churches, Jesus has to share the stage with something. There is more in the post, but that, that really resonated with me for probably several reasons, but, but it's true. And, and I wouldn't even say in most churches, because when we say in most churches, what we do is we just, we make the assumption that it's not us, it's them. So I would say in all churches, Jesus very often has to share the stage. And the reason for that is simple. It's because in our day-to-day -day lives, Jesus often shares the stage. And so when we worship together, that's going to happen. And so what do we do about that? See, with, with our lips, we're able to say, yes, Jesus, you're enough. Yes, Jesus takes center stage. But we know that in our life, day to day, that is not always the case. So what do we do, do about that? How do we move to a closer a life where we are? I'm stumbling over all my words. How do we move? I'm just going to read the screen. How do we move closer to a life where the lived out reality is that Jesus is enough? How do we live, move closer to that sort of life where when we say that, it's the truth more and more often in our life? Or is it even possible? Is it even possible? Right? We, we read the story this morning of Adam and Eve. We know this story. We've probably heard it bunches of times. They're in the garden. There's harmony between Humans and God, the, there's harmony between humanity, Adam and Eve, living as intended, side by side in partnership with one another. Uh, there, there's harmony with creation as they, they're working the ground and cultivating and it's producing fruit. And, and, and there's this beautiful picture painted and then the snake comes and Eve eats the fruit and Adam eats the fruit and sin enters the world and through sin death. And we've read the words of Paul where he said in Romans chapter 5, verse 12, we'll put it on the screen again, therefore... Just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, 
In this way, death came to all people because all sinned. And so we know that sin and death kind of spread out and infected everything. And, you know, when I was younger, I would, you know, hear about that story and I would think, man, they ruined it for everybody. But as, as we get older, we, we all begin to learn that, you know, probably the best way to read that story is not about a couple of people long ago and far away, but as our story, as my story. Because how often in our life, when we're put in that same situation where we need to choose between God and something else, even if that something else is not necessarily sinful or evil or bad, it's just something else. Something else that looks good and pleasing and desirable to us. And, and we have to choose in, in that moment between God and something else. How often do we choose not God? And so if, if that's the case, if, if we are really a people infected with sin, is it even possible to, to move closer to a life where the lived out reality is that Jesus is enough. Is it even possible? Yes. Cliffhanger over. Yes, it is possible. See, yeah, uh, Paul didn't stop in verse 12 there in Romans. He, he, kept, he kept writing in just a few verses down in verses 17. He says this. He says, For if by the trespass of the one man death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification in life for all people. For just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. And yes, Adam's sin did, in fact, put us all under the power of sin and death, but the, the death of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, freed us from the power of sin and death. We sang it this morning, we believe in the resurrection, like death has been conquered. But sin has also been conquered. See, through, through the work of Christ on the cross, God has given us fantastic gifts. The gift of repentance. Being able to, to repent is a gift from God. Uh, the gift of forgiveness, the gift of grace, the, the, that we are able to stand before God as if we're innocent, even though we all know we're not But the awesome thing about salvation is it doesn't just stop there. It doesn't stop there. That, that we're, we're not simply sinners that have been forgiven. Yes, we are that. But it doesn't stop there because God also transforms our hearts. God also gives us a new heart and he, and he replaces the old, hard, sinful heart inclined towards sin with a new heart purified heart that has been oriented towards Christ and towards God. Through, through a, a, a thing that we call in the Church of the Nazarene, what Dr. McPherson talked about last Sunday, uh, the, this thing that we call entire sanctification. It's a big word. 
But that's what we believe as, as Nazarene people. That once we, were, once we were, in, were sinners and we were inclined to sin and oriented towards sin, and then we, we, we turn to Christ and we receive grace and we receive forgiveness, and as we continue on in our walk with Christ, we, we come to this place where we, we fall to our knees before God and we say, God, I'm tired of, of living, you know, sometimes for myself and sometimes for you. I, I'm in this, this place where we say, God, I just want only you Take my life, do with, with my life whatever it is you want to do, Lord. I am yours. Have your way in me. And in this moment, uh, the, the Spirit fills us and empowers us and replaces the heart that was once inclined towards sin and gives us a new heart. He takes out the heart of stone and gives us a heart of flesh. That's what we believe. So as we're filled with the Spirit, we're no longer in inclined towards sin. No, we have been oriented towards Christ. And so that means as soon as this happens, we never, ever mess up or sin again. No. That's not what it means. It's not what it means. Because, see, we, we understand that there is a difference between a new heart and a mature character. There's a difference between God placing a new heart in us and us having a mature character. One happens in an instant as God fills us with his spirit and it's this miraculous thing that we receive by faith. And the other takes effort. Takes effort. Takes work. Which finally brings us to the, to the answer to this question we've been asking. How do we move closer to a life where the real lived out reality is that Jesus is truly enough? How do we move closer to that life? Well, first part of the answer is through the infilling and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Without that, there's no chance. The second part, and what we're going to focus on in the next stack of pages. It's, it's big font, don't worry. The, the next part is by having our hearts properly trained. We grow into a Jesus-centered life with help from the Holy Spirit and a character that is trained through the participation in, in the gifts and the tools that God has given us. And these gifts that God has given us to help train our character, to train our heart, include things but are not limited to like corporate worship, you know, like what we're doing right now. Coming together each and every week being parts of small groups and, and discipleship opportunities, uh, you know, personal daily prayer time and meditation and study of the scripture, participation in the sacraments, participation in the, the rhythms and the traditions of the church, all of these things God uses to shape us and to form us and to mature our character. And, and without these things, we can never expect to grow in maturity of faith without participating in these things, period, period. 
And so this time of year, the season of Lent, one of the things that the church traditionally calls us to participate in is fasting. Fasting. And fasting, it's something that Christians have done since the very beginning. There was a brief moment of time when Jesus was still on earth. His disciples didn't fast. You can read about it in the Bible. But after that, like, Christians fasted. And I, I suspect more in recent days that this is a spiritual discipline that becomes more and more neglected. And I think when we do neglect it, it's to our own spiritual detriment. So what is fasting? This is the very first, and I told Jim this earlier, this is the very first time I have like bullet points. I don't really like it. So just, I'm sorry. But it's important. It's important. So I do like it. I love it. All right. So fasting is the abstaining of food accompanied by an increased focus of God, or it's the abstaining of food for spiritual purposes. And and so the the type of fasting that I'm talking about today, it's not a physical health thing. I I know there's a lot of those sorts of fasts that kind of go around. And and so it's it's not a physical health thing. It's a spiritual health thing. It's not a a weight loss strategy about, you know, making sure we can look a little bit better at the beach this summer when summer eventually comes. Will it ever come again? It's not about that because, see, the the ultimate goal of fasting is that of humility. And if our aim of a fast is to make sure we look really nice at the beach, that's different than seeking humility, okay? Uh, Also, fasting is not a way to to twist God's arm to get get him to do exactly what we want him to do. Sometimes when when I've heard people talk about fasting, that's the idea that comes across. But it's not about manipulating God to get something specific or Though we can pray and fast about specific things, if the purpose is to manipulate God to make him do what you want him to do, again, that's fasting out of power and control and not out of humility before God. Also, fasting is not a gift that we give God in order to win God's favor. We've already got God's favor. We don't have to win that. Fasting is a gift that God has given us because we have his favor so we can be shaped and formed more and more like him. So what does fasting do? Or what's the purpose or the result? Or I've got a list. I don't know exactly the heading to put on the list. What does fasting do? First thing, fasting pushes back against the, the first sin in the garden that we read about today. I, I read this somewhere, I heard it somewhere, and, and I found it really interesting, and I, I think there's truth in it, that, that fasting in some ways is the reversal of the sin in the garden, because in the garden, out of our pride, we ate something that we were not supposed to do. But in fasting, we humble ourselves by not eating things that we are permitted to eat. And so it pushes back against 
the first sin. And, 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 and related to that is the fact that the, the first sin in the garden wasn't simply, well, I ate something that I wasn't supposed to eat. The first sin in the garden was, was fueled by pride, saying, I know better than God, and I'm going to do what I want to do. And in fasting, it's this seeking after humility and giving control over to God and says, I'm not going to do what I want to do. God, have your way in me. And so fasting pushes back against the sin in the garden. Next thing is fasting is a way that we encounter our weakness, and it brings about humility. See, because when we fast, we become more and more aware of how dependent we are on something as simple as food. And that should be a little bit humbling to us. Like if we didn't have this simple thing we call food, we would be no more. Or if we didn't have this simple thing like food, like it really kind of messes up our day a little bit at least. And so it, it makes us aware of how dependent we are on something as simple as food. And, then, and even if we don't do uh, a full traditional fast and we do like a, a partial thing and we just cut out one thing out of our diet, like maybe we're just like, like I'm going to fast from ice, from ice cream. I like ice cream. <laughs> like if you go into my house at any given time, there's like a 95% chance that there's ice cream in the freezer. And that 5% that it's not is because I've already eaten all of it. Okay? So, but like, so if we, if we just take one thing out of, uh, you know, our diet, that's more of an, an indulgence, you know, like, you know, we stop going to Aroma Joe's 27 times a day. Uh, I don't do that. I've never been to Aroma Joe's, so that one's not me. But... Like, even then, we, we begin to see how much value and how much power something so stupid and meaningless has over us. And how prone we are to, to put something in a place of prominence, and dare I say, how prone we are to make a god out of something that is just so silly. And we start to crave this thing, and like... So fasting is a way we encounter our own weakness, and as we do, it should bring us to a place of humbleness and a place of repentance, saying, God, I put these stupid things before you so often. Next one. Fasting nurtures our devotion towards God. See, because as we become aware of our weaknesses, we are to lean more and more into the strength of God. More and more into the strength of God. And in more practical ways, like let's say if we decide to skip a meal during the, the fasting season of Lent, which is 40 days, good news, Sundays don't count. At least according to the tradition that I typically follow. Sundays don't count because Sunday's a day of celebration and resurrection. And so anyway, Sundays don't count. That's if you do the math and you start to figure out why do they say there's 40 days in Lent, but it started there and you're like, there's actually 46. And then 
because Sundays don't count. All right, sorry, I just, I had to explain that. It was necessary. Fasting nurtures our devotion towards God. And so if we, so we take that time where, you know, when we skip the meal and we're like, well, what am I going to do with this 20 minutes or however long? You spend it in prayer for the church, for the community. You spend it in meditating and, and in scripture. And, and, and then it would use that time to, again, nurture our devotion towards God. And also when we fast, we tend to get hungry. And so as we get hungry, it can be a reminder to us, a very real reminder to us to direct our attention for that moment towards God. Say a fast prayer rather than making a fast run to the fridge. And we can use that hunger as as an illustration and as a reminder for ourselves how we should be hungering and longing and craving after God. And so fasting nurtures our devotion towards God. And the last one on my list... Fasting strengthens us against temptation. Because, see, fasting, it helps us practice self-control in a controlled environment. Right? And when we willfully deny ourselves of something that we want, that we're technically allowed to have, what we're doing, we're training that character. And we're letting our desires know, and we're letting ourselves know that our desires are not the boss of us. And so if we're able to to say no to a microwave burrito, that's probably easy. Um, But if we're able to say no to to something that we, we want, that we're allowed to have, how much more will we be able to say no to something we want that we shouldn't have? That we're not allowed to have. So fasting strengthens our muscles, our spiritual muscles against the face of temptation. And there's probably so much more that can be said about fasting. Well, there is. But the the purpose of today is not to say everything that I could say about fasting or everything that could be said about fasting. The, The purpose is to simply answer that question. How can we grow and move closer to a truly Jesus-centered life where it's not just something we say with our lips, but it truly is our life. And the answer, it's simple. It's through the power of the Holy Spirit, and it's by participating in these things that God has given us. And one of those things this season is fasting. And I know we resist it. I know I resist it because it's not fun. Because it kind of feels a little bit like dying. But honestly, sometimes that's what we need. We need to learn how to die to ourselves so we can live more fully in Christ. And so this season of Lent that started on Wednesday going to take us all the way up to Easter. This season of Lent, can we fast together? Can we fast together? Now, what that looks like for each of you is going to be different. For some, it might just be skipping one meal a day. For some, maybe it's skipping two meals. 
For others, you're like, I don't know if I can skip a full meal, but you know, it, maybe it's giving up all soda and everything to drink that's not water. Maybe you just, you're gonna eat like normal, but you're just gonna only drink water. Maybe it's giving up sweets, maybe it's giving up coffee, maybe it's giving up meat. Whatever, whatever it is, ultimately it's between you and God, but whatever it is, it should be at least a little bit difficult. And it should absolutely be noticeable in your life. So that way you can, uh, God can use that and, and you can leverage that to, towards uh, a humility and a devotion towards God. And so it should be difficult and it should be noticeable. And I do understand that uh, perhaps there's some that for uh, medical reasons or whatever, you're just simply not able to mess with your diet. I get it. Some, it just might be, I'm just not willing to, which I get that too. So there's other ways you can practice abstinence from something rather than the act of fasting from food. You can turn off your TV for a couple extra hours in the evening and spend that time with your Bible open on your lap or a devotional book. You can delete social media from your life. Oh no, don't do that. He said that. Um, yeah, you can delete social media from your life throughout the time of Lent. You can, you can neglect yourself of a little bit of sleep and maybe wake up an hour early and spend that time in, in prayer for the church, for the community. Spend that time in prayer for, uh, for the world and for your family or in the word. And like, There's so many different things that we can do during this season. And ultimately, it is between you and it's between God. But whatever it is, one, I pray that you would find a way to participate in this. And two, it should be a little bit difficult. And it should feel a little bit like you're dying. Maybe not literally. And it should be noticeable in your life. So again, this season of Lent, can we fast together? Can we grow together? Can we seek God together? Can we imagine what God might do if we obey him in this? Let's pray. Lord God, I just thank you so much for who you are. Thank you for your presence and your spirit here in this place. God, this whole idea might seem difficult and scary and challenging for some, Lord. I pray you'd give peace of heart and of mind. I pray you lead us in the directions you want us to go. And that through the, the next 40 days of Lent, Lord, that you would show us and teach us and draw us to be closer and closer to you that we would die to ourselves just a little bit more so that you could have the freedom to form and to shape us more completely into who you want us to be. Lord, give us the grace and the strength we need for this difficult task. And we pray, that, pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. 
as always, our altars are open if you'd like to come down and pray. But let's stand together and just uh, sing with us.
to begin today if money talked is being postponed for just a couple of weeks so it's not too late to get in on that but it won't be happening today so let's uh, bow our heads for a quick word of prayer thank you lord for who you are thank you for your incredible love for us and for your drawing continually upon our hearts you truly are a rewarder of those who earnestly seek you so, Lord, as we seek your face, Lord, let us come with expectation, with a, with a hunger and thirst after more of you. Thank you, God, for meeting us wherever we're at on this day and in, in the days ahead. Let us go forth in our week, Lord, just making those moments um, throughout each day, days where we press in to hear from you, to seek you more, and to be 